Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. Coalfield and Company on a Tuesday afternoon in Las Vegas. Not quite as windy as yesterday, but still a bit breezy out there today. Candy, along with Willie Ramirez, Steve Cofield, will be back with you later in the week. Let's hit the three. It's the three on Cofield and Company. All right, Willie. It is uh, it is a windy, blustery day here in Las Vegas. Again, not quite what we had yesterday overall have you managed to uh have you managed to sort through all of the damage have you picked up the trees have you have you taken all of the chairs and put them back in their right places everything back together in your world do you know what today is the day after monday it's national windy day or national wind day excuse me not windy it's national it's, it's officially national wind day oh we got to we got to blow harder than usual. Then we have to we have to really put some hot air out there today. We got to really work yeah. at it. Um, I, it's funny you said that because um, <clears throat> driving to the gym just a little bit ago, down uh, the road that leads from my neighborhood to one of the main streets, uh, there are cones in two different spots with trees blown over into the street. Mm-hmm. Yep. It would yep. not I'm be just... it would not be a windy April day in Vegas. Without some trees, and then of course, I would imagine news outlets asking people to please tweet out, send us the picture, so you know they can have some clickbait or some added art right. for their newscast. Because because we have to put blown over trees on the news because that's what's important. I, and I'm going to put out the call right now to all of our Cofield and Company listeners: tweet all of your downed tree pictures to Ari, at Ari Produces on Twitter. I want all of those to end up on the ESPN Las Vegas Twitter feed here by the end of the day. Um, you know, we can talk about the uh, the sort of, I don't know, the common natural disasters, the things that happen uh, in around today here in Las Vegas. There are more serious things going on elsewhere in the country. Uh, we know that the NBA play-in games start tonight uh, first one is going to be played in brooklyn and earlier today uh, if you haven't been following the news uh there was a, a mass shooting on the subway in brooklyn we know uh, close to 30 people injured uh, it turns out this was less than a half mile from the brooklyn nets practice yeah. facility uh, kevin durant commented on it and said that he was getting texts from his family that he was hearing sirens outside the facility as uh, as this was being responded to in the morning so you know uh, Willie, I think we deal with our little corner of the sports world here when it comes to these things, and uh, it's quite the scene around Brooklyn. You just you wonder if there's any potential uh, lack of focus there. Yeah, driving back from the gym to get ready for the show, um, I believe I heard on the on the national network that they're still looking for the gunman. So, and that's a little troublesome. The fact that you're going to have thousands of people going to to the game tonight, where you know I believe this is like less than seven minutes away, and um, it's 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 just sad because you know um, families are affected by that, and and like you said, now the players in their minds, and 
you know, the safety of people in general. Um, I'm sure that there'll be extra security at the arena. But um, overall, I mean, first thing I did when I saw it this morning, sent a text to my uh, to my uncle in, in, in New York, not too far from Brooklyn, but he is downtown Manhattan. But he does. He used to live in Brooklyn. So he used to go over there. He used to work in Brooklyn, at elementary school. He's a teacher just to check on them and, you know, make sure he wasn't at the subway station. So, you know, there are people it's not just in New York, in Brooklyn, in, in and around the area around. I mean, you think about the people that have moved to Las Vegas from New York or moved to other cities moved to the west coast so there you know lots of families i'm sure were very worried and it's not the type of news that you like to wake up to and hear especially when you know things especially after you know a weekend where you know the nba season ended the baseball season started the masters it's just sports is just outside of the normal you know sort of corporate conversation that we have to deal with I'd say for the most part, Adam, we, we've had some pretty good news. We've had some pretty good vibes. We ended the basketball se- the uh, college basketball season, men and women, on a good note. Um, people gearing up for the playoffs, people gearing up for the WNBA. So all in all, you know, it's been just a really good vibe. And then you have this happen, which has nothing to do with sports, but in a sense, with a game right there, it affects a lot of people. It does. And, and, you know, more more just a, a reminder that as we get ourselves all worked up the way we do here on Cofield and Company about the uh, the topics of the day, there are obviously much larger things going on around the world, around the sports world, right outside the door of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, BGK is on the ice tonight. They're north of the border. They're up in Vancouver again. Uh, you know, it's actually worked out for the Golden Knights over the last couple of days with the Kings losing a couple of games and the Golden Knights have a chance to potentially control their own destiny. We're going to get into that in a few minutes. We're going to talk to Mike McKenna at 4.30 also about the Golden Knights. Um, But Willie, it seems interesting to me as I thought about the Nets and then I thought about the Golden Knights and I thought there's kind of a similarity here where the Vegas Golden Knights have been injured all year long and they're just kind of hoping to sneak their way into the playoffs. And yet I think there are a lot of teams that are not going to be happy to see the Golden Knights on their schedule in the first round if it works out that they make it into the playoffs. Kind of the same way the Nets are in this play-in tournament where they're still the third favorite on the betting boards to win the NBA championship, despite the fact that right now they're two losses from not making the playoffs at all. Yeah, they're, I mean, when, that's just... It, it's, it is kind of a weird draw there for, for whomever is going to face these teams and 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 the gold from the golden knights standpoint you know i believe stone will be back this trip mark stone um he will be on the trip or peter DeBoer said that he will be going and there's a good chance that he will play he said that there'll be game time i personally don't think that he's playing tonight against the vancouver canucks i think the target is calgary in a sense that this is a team that um They've dominated other than the last outing. They're going to be angry about what took place at T-Mobile. So I think they can hold Mark Stone out one more, and then we're going to see him against the Calgary Flames. But to your point, once that um, once once the playoffs hit, if they can sneak in and get in there on that final spot because they've crept up on Dallas, they've crept up on the Kings, um, if they can get that final playoff spot or get third in the Pacific Division overcome Los Angeles um, – then they can, you know, they can 
remove a lot of people. They can activate a lot of people. They don't have to necessarily, because I, I have to believe that part of them is worried about salary. Um, but it looks like they're working people in. And if, if they have a lot of people, you know, at their fingertips to use, Peter DeBoer can mix up those lines, which he's already been doing. And they become used to these mix and match. They will be a dangerous draw for whoever it is they draw in the first round. And the same goes for Brooklyn. Now, with them, it's obviously been a situation with Kyrie and the vaccination issues. I mean, there's one team that's still going to have to deal with that, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers in their play-in game with Tybal, right? Because he won't be able to uh, – or not play-in, excuse me, with the opening round series against the Raptors. I don't know why I said play-in. But uh, he's not going to be able to play in in, in um, travel, on road games. So little little things like that – will have an effect i think uh but with the nets they they suddenly become a little bit of a of a of a scare where i don't think that the sixers are as much as people think they were going to be golden knights i definitely think if they get into the postseason that they could make a run and we've always said you know we've always heard this even the year before the golden knights uh existed um there was the year that nashville got into the final and it was you know it was they were the sixth seed i believe and it was all about who has the hot goaltender and who's hot at the end well the golden knights have no choice but to be the hot team here at the end of the season so if they go in hot that means that they are playing well on the ice which their defenders are doing exceptionally well i wrote a story on that for the associated press ben goats wrote one for the las vegas review journal but it also means that the goaltending has heat up and robin leonard looked exceptional Granted, it was the Arizona Coyotes, but he did look sharp. So, um, both teams, you're right. Similar in terms of I don't think that they're that easy of a draw for the opponent in the first round. Hopefully, Willie still has a little Golden Knights left for our 315 segment as we get back into talking about Mark Stone coming back and the defense that has buoyed them thus far. It's also quite an interesting time to be in Washington if you are a fan of of the don't call them the football team washington commanders dan snyder's cooking the books congress is sending a reference to the ftc he might end up getting in real trouble and uh, no that's not going to happen is it join the conversation on twitter at espn las vegas the donov going after nick schmaltz strips it away sends it out to center here's eichel all alone eichel left circle the right he shoots scores jack eichel 11th goal of the season comes in his 400th NHL game. Now, back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company on your Tuesday afternoon. Candy, Willie Ramirez, Ari back. Finley, Toyota Studios. Golden Knights on the road tonight. They are in Vancouver. It is a 7 p.m. Puck drop. You can get all the pregame coverage over on our sister station on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, the Golden Knights are now in a place that they haven't been for a while. Well, no, I'm not just talking about them being on the edge of not making the playoffs. I'm talking about them being in control of their own playoff destiny. Thank you very much to the Los Angeles Kings. As we look at the Western Conference playoff race, the Kings now have 86 points, but they're down to just eight games remaining. Golden Knights actually have a game in hand. They have 84 points, and they're going to have the tiebreaker 
over the Kings as well. They hold it at the moment with 32 regulation wins to 29 for the Kings. Golden Knights also two points behind Dallas, one point behind Nashville for the wild card, but uh, both of those teams still have a game in hand over VGK. So, Willie, before we get into the particulars of the Golden Knights and who they will have and who they won't have, are you feeling more like they have a pulse now that they at least have their own fate in their hands? Well, first of all, before we go into the pulse, you forgot one thank you that the Golden Knights should be offering. They shouldn't just be thanking the Los Angeles Kings. Shouldn't they be thanking their old buddy, Marc-Andre Fleury? Stellar effort in net for the Minnesota Wild against the L.A. Kings. And, oh boy, the guy who supposedly didn't find out that he was traded until it was on Twitter, even though he doesn't have a Twitter account, per his agent, but his agent happens to have one, uh, still came through with a big win. I'm sure not with the Golden Knights in mind, but... He's helping along the cause. That being said, when Vegas lost to Vancouver last week and the uproar in, well, they're done. They fell flat. This is it. I also was thinking to myself, okay, at that point, I believe there was 11 games left before that game. I didn't think they were going to go 11-0. and What I did think after the game was, okay, they just made it harder on themselves because now – they cannot go 0-2 against Calgary and Edmonton on this trip. They have to win one of those games. If they would have won Vancouver, and then they would have beat the Coyotes, then you could look at it and go, well, as long as they go 2-1 and on this trip, maybe get a point, to, uh, a point in at least two of the three, force in overtime. They've just put themselves in a position where they have to win two of the three games. All three would be great because nobody thought they were going to go 11-0 and down the stretch. So I feel like the pulse was always there. I feel as if Pacioretty and Stone were on the brink. Um, I feel as if Leonard was going to get stronger. I, it doesn't mean that I felt that they were a lot to get into the playoffs. I just didn't think that they were left for dead after that loss where everyone else said, that's it. It's all over. So, I, yeah, I feel, you know, I, I think the pulse has been there, I guess. And the pulse is also alive in the Vancouver Canucks a little bit here. Just keep in mind that yeah. the Canucks have 80 points. The Golden Knights have 84. If the Canucks win this game tonight without Vegas getting a point, if they win in regulation, they would be just two points behind the Golden Knights with the same amount of games remaining. Now, it's going to be tough for both of those teams because they both have more than half of their remaining games against current playoff teams. This is obviously a swing for VGK where... They will have a day off before they go to Calgary, then another day off before they go to Edmonton. Uh, they come home and things will get a little softer for them facing the Devils and the Sharks on the homestand. But you know, it's still a challenge for them. But Willie, as you pointed out, uh, they're going to likely be doing it from a stronger place. Mark I mean, Stone look- is likely to come back here for the Golden Knights. Pete DeBoer has him on the trip. They hope to have the captain back in the lineup, and it feels like that's the last huge missing piece of this puzzle for VGK to be something like the team we expected them to be. And I want to point something out. Um, in all honesty, no, you, nobody wants to lose, but the best thing that could have happened to the Golden Knights may have been the lo- like if they were going to lose one or two games last week, The best thing that probably could have happened was they lose to the Canucks, not the Coyotes. There's so much involved with that loss. The fact that they spanked 
the Golden Knights. The fact that the Golden Knights had never lost in regulation to Vancouver. The fact that Vancouver did it in T-Mobile. Because if they would have beaten them and then would have beaten Arizona, and now they're thinking, okay, we're in position, they could possibly have gone up there and overlooked tonight and looked ahead to Calgary and Edmonton. But guess what? Now they got revenge on the brain. They're focused. They know they have to win. And it's it's not saying that they wouldn't have played with a sense of urgency, but there have been times, more times than not, and I have used this word throughout the season, ever since Pittsburgh came into this arena, into this city, and came out in the final period and played with, they played deliberate hockey. They came out with a purpose, physical, and we talked to them afterwards. They were talking about how leaders stepped up and used words, and they wouldn't say who. The fact of the matter is, that loss last week might have been the best thing to happen to the Gold Knights. People say, well, you, let's go back. We're going to look back at this particular game. At this, like People want to say, well, if the Gold Knights make the playoffs, they're going to look at that game where Dadinoff scored the overtime goal. No, you know what? The Golden Knights get in the playoffs, and, they, and, it's, and it's in thanks to this road trip. They could say that it – they could thank that loss to Vancouver. That game against Vancouver that they played at T-Mobile last week was maybe the single worst game that I've seen a Golden Knights team play in five years. I and agree. That, it's not just about the the injuries. It's about the mental mistakes. It's about the, the energy that was in that building from the fans, Willie, and you know this well. Those yeah. fans were ready – to celebrate you had a team that was on a five-game winning streak like they, they were ready to party and golden knights played 10 good minutes and then came out flat for the next 50 and things just fell apart from there so golden knights uh have to get it going in vancouver the beginning of a three-game road trip up in canada not the only action going on locally though wnba draft last night a few picks for the las vegas aces let's talk about what happened in the w last night in a minute here on cofield and company Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. How cool is it for Vegas to take Kayla Pointer? Nikki Fargus, their president, is Kayla Pointer's aunt. She coached her for three years at LSU, and this is a pick. All three of these picks to Vegas can have an opportunity to make the team, and for her to have an opportunity to go to Vegas and make the team really special for her and her family. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. WNBA draft last night and the Las Vegas Aces had multiple picks. I made a little trade uh, leading up to the draft and uh, it's never too soon to start talking a little bit of basketball here on Cofield and Company with the upcoming season for the Aces. Natalie Williams is the general manager of the Aces, joins Adam Candy here and Willie Ramirez. Natalie, welcome. Thanks for your time. Uh, tell us your your impressions of, of how everything fell for you in the draft last night. Yeah, we're super excited. Uh, everything that went on, I mean, we're happy for the draft picks that we got. Um, I mean, Becky was ecstatic in the coaching staff, so that's that's what I'm proud of. You know, first day on the job for me, um, really working our picks and trading it, you know, getting two more picks in the draft and getting, you know, Maya Hollingshed, uh, Kayla Porner, Kirsten Bell, um, 
you know, Deja Winters. I mean, we got six draft picks, which is crazy. So one common theme that I noticed among uh, all of your first four picks, all 50-year seniors, a good deal of maturity and experience, that's something in particular that you were valuing, or is that just happens to be uh, something that was there when you were taking the best player you could find? Well, there's definitely a lot of super seniors in the draft. You know, it's uh, you, we, they call them the COVID seniors or the super seniors, but they're definitely older, more mature players. They've had another year to really improve and, and hone their skills. Um, we're, we're loving that these kids that we brought in are proven leaders on their team. They're great shooters. They've um, also, you know, really got their body to where they're pro-ready. And so um, we're very, very happy with what we got. So, Natalie, I, uh, you know, I had a chance to cover the Athletes Unlimited earlier this year, and uh, I did a story on Isabel Harrison and, and spoke with Nikki, and, and she gave me this phrase. She said, you know, it's a Tennessee thing. Y'all picked eighth, and the ninth pick was a local Ray Burrell out of Tennessee, and I was like, oh, wow. But I'm just curious, as far as um, with the route that you, um, you went with the picks – what sort? What are you seeing as how this team will formulate with the likes of an Asia Wilson and Kelsey Plum and Chelsea and you know what's already in place? Because there's such a great stability with the talent that's there. What are you seeing in terms of how? What are we going to see different with this team than we've seen in the past? Well, I mean, what we knew we had to get is a stretch for uh, Maya Hollingshed is probably the best stretch four in the country that shoots the three-point shot at 40% behind the three-point line um, and can also go inside and, and take a few minutes, uh, you know, the substitution minutes from Asia and Hamby when they need uh, to come out. I mean, she can play those minutes defending the fours and possible fives at her length. Um, so we really needed that. We also needed another guard, a backup guard, um, you know, uh, a big, strong, I mean, Kirsten Bell is six one, very strong body. She can defend one through four. And so we were really looking at that. Becky wanted to bring in a lot of shooters. So, you know, that's where, um, you know, the Asia comes in and um, Asia winters. And then Afua out of LSU is just a six five banger and strong post. And she will be fun to watch in training camp against Asia and, and Hamby. So, Natalie, I want to just, you know, talk to you a little bit about the, the organization itself with Mark Davis. You know, since he took it over, I have seen him around town. I've seen him at Pac-12 tournaments, um, even when we were in the bubble. Went to the final. It was funny because I was like, you're out to enjoy some, some great basketball. He said, I'm here scouting. Uh, he came to the Athletes Unlimited, and I know how big of a fan he is. And it's, it's obvious that he knows – the importance of former players and 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 women that are capable of you know that th this is a this is a league that obviously embraces right the the women basketball the greatest women basketballs and I love the fact that this team is not only you know with some of the best players in like as we mentioned with Asia and Kelsey but now from top to bottom front office head coach. Um, 
that just has to i i feel like it's 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 a statement and it's a great statement because you know you ladies have played in the league you can relate to 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 these women um can you just talk to that a little bit yeah i mean <laughs> mark came into the war room yesterday getting ready for draft day and he was ready <laughs> i mean he wanted to know who are the best players in the draft and and um you know set them up 1 through 15 and i think it was really fun for him to be a part and be active in the draft process and really see as it was going on, oh, man, all these players are getting knocked off the list, you know. So he is super active in it. We love that. Um, he's very, very invested in women's sports. He wants, you know, the women to be eventually paid as much as the NBA players. And yeah. I know he's going to continue to fight for that. Um, and it just continue. you know, we just got to continue to – uh, get the word out there and work on our media contracts and our TV contracts, and I think it will happen. How have you seen the WNBA develop in terms of the game over the last few years? Obviously, you had a great deal of success playing in the game, um, and I feel like the game has evolved in terms of speed, athleticism, shooting. You mentioned the need to get shooters uh, in here, especially at that four position. What sort of changes have you seen in the game? Well, I mean, dang, when I played, I would have loved to have had, um, you know, a defensive three seconds because now there's <laughs> a little bit more freedom of movement. I constantly had two and three people that could pack down on me inside. So <laughs> um, I, I like that aspect of it. I really like that the game is becoming more positionless where you've got, you know, six, seven uh, big tall girls coming down and shooting the three in the trail post. So that's kind of fun, and you've got little guards posting up. And, you know, Kelsey Plum, I think, is one of the best uh, guards to be able to just get inside and create her magic down there on the block with all her, uh, you know, wonderful creative moves. So um, I just think that's a lot of fun for people is to see players doing a little bit of everything and just having a lot of um, quickness and freedom of movement. And to that end, I mean, you've been doing some coaching uh, with the kids at the younger age as, as they've been coming up. Uh, has, how has that developed in terms of coaching? Because it feels to me like I remember when, you know, when I was younger and I was tall as a kid and I'm playing the four, nobody had me shooting outside. And, and now I feel like if you're a four and you don't have the ability to step back, you, you're sort of a dinosaur in this game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's where it's changing. I mean, the way – I mean, I've been coaching now – for 16 years, and, um, you know, with my daughters, I have a 12- and a 14-year-old, I'm teaching them, you know, you've got to learn the inside game, and you've also got to learn to have great ball handling skills and bring the ball up the floor and be able to attack from the wing, and you've got to be able to shoot the three. You know, I didn't get that luxury when I was younger. So, you know, that's how I coach, is uh, really teaching them all aspects of the game, and I think that's where the women's game has really improved. So now they got to ask you the the proverbial Las Vegas question. Now that you're here, of course, when as this town continues to grow as a pro sports town, before you got here, how had you viewed it as it was growing? The Aces, obviously, I remember the first year, Elena Deladon, um, Candice, and and Diana. They all talked about just when they got to the airport and they got to their host hotel and seeing 
signs, aces, and just the embracement of the marketing. And then now that you're here, your thoughts on Las Vegas as a pro sports town and embracing women's basketball? Yeah, I love it. I love I mean, I remember, I can't remember if it was last summer or the one before, um, when I, I was going down Vegas Boulevard and saw um, the Statue of Liberty wearing an Aces jersey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the coolest thing I thought I've ever seen. And that's, uh, you know, that's what I love. That's where it's like the whole city has embraced the Aces. And, you know, with the support of Mark Davis, I mean... It, it, we our goal is to, if not this summer, the next summer get sold out home games every every single game, and that that would be amazing. I think we can get there. And as you attempt to do that, uh, you have one of the more marketable stars in in all of the game in Asia Wilson. Um, you've been around women's basketball for a long time. Can you kind of put into context where she is in her development and what she means not only to the Aces but to the WNBA? Yeah, I mean, she is an amazing, not only is she an amazing athlete, uh, amazing player, she's an amazing person. Um, and so, I mean, she's a, a wonderful person for Vegas to surround themselves around. But not only that, I mean, we've got such great veterans in on the team, you know, with um, Chelsea Gray, we've got Olympians, uh, Kelsey Plum, um, Raquana Williams, um, De'Erica Hamby. I mean, such a great veteran crew that is so talented that every time you come to an Aces game, you would just be in awe. And I think if someone has not been to a game, this would be the year with, I mean, because we are stacked this year from 1 to 12. Um, and you're going to see a very good product on the floor. So love everything that Asia brings and all the other girls, but um, it's a very good uh, product of basketball that the Aces are going to put on the floor this year. And Natalie, this is something that I try to talk to people about. Uh, you know, I've talked many times on the show about the fact that my side gig is I, I referee women's basketball at the college level. And even working, you know, Division Two, II, Division Three kind of games, even seeing how the level of skill has filtered to the point where that's a better level, Division One's a better level, and, and the WNBA is playing at a level where if you're someone who hasn't game a chance in the last few years you're coming out to it was always an interesting product but it's even better and more impressive and, and i feel like people who if you ever have were going to give women's basketball a real shot uh, as part of this community you know you've got the team to to do it with right now and you've you've got the uh you've got the time of the game to be very interested in in the way women's basketball has progressed yeah i mean let's put it this way if you've got the, the top-level NBA players wanting tickets and wanting to come and sit in the front row to watch these women play, you know it's a good product. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully uh, folks will get out there and check out Maya Hollingshed and Kirsten Bell and the rest of the draft picks for the Las Vegas Aces. Natalie Williams, the general manager, thank you so much for a bit of your time and uh, best of luck to the Aces this year. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Cofield and Company rolls on on your Tuesday. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs>
it's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft. Path to the Draft here on Cofield and Company. Adam Candy, Willie Ramirez, back at the Finley Toyota Studios, RE. Uh, Tennessee Titans are up today. That means we're going to head out to Tennessee where Chase McCabe does radio on 1025 the game, 10 to 2 in the afternoon. Chase, what's good, man? How you doing? Doing all right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, happy to have you in. We saw your high compliment on Twitter, doing radio uh, in one of your favorite cities here. Uh, where the NFL drafts will be located here coming up soon. Tennessee Titans, of course, picking toward the the bottom end of that draft. Uh, set the scene for us overall in Tennessee about how folks are feeling coming off last year and a close loss that knocks them out of the playoffs after having the one seed. Uh, three interceptions. That's that's how people are still feeling about it. Um, you know, it's funny. It's like you, you say that close loss, it, it I mean, on paper, the Titans were the better team. It, it shouldn't have been the way that it went, but people have, uh, and rightfully so, put a lot of the blame on the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, and the three interceptions that he threw in that loss to the Bengals. And so it stung a little bit because people had so many expectations with that team getting the, the number one seed and the fact that the defense was so good. The defense had nine sacks in that game, and uh, yet they went home after uh, after that divisional round game. So, still singing, but it's on to the draft, and, and I like what they've done so far in free agency. And looking back for just a second to the playoff game, it was such an abrupt turn. They're driving for what looks like it's going to be the winning field goal, and then you have the pass from Tannehill that goes awry, turns, the season is over, and a season where... The Titans still managed to get the one seed without Derrick Henry for as long as he had been out. I mean, like you said, the interceptions, I'm sure, feel rough. But at the the same time, I wonder how long is the window, you think, for this team? Because it's starting to feel to me like a chance like last year, they might not have that many more of them with this particular core. I think that's a really good point because and it's something that we've talked about a lot here in Nashville because... The window is as long as Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry. I mean, that's pretty much just the bottom line because, you know, even though it's been difficult to let go of three interceptions with Ryan Tannehill, he's a solid quarterback. He's not a franchise quarterback by any means, but he is a, he, he's a solid quarterback. And the fact that you have uh, Derrick Henry in the backfield, who's been so dominant uh, the last several years in, in the National Football League, you know, that certainly helps things, but what exactly is it going to be? I mean, he came back for the playoff game, was definitely not himself, didn't have that uh, explosiveness that we've seen him have, um, you know, obviously in years past. Now, the hope is that he's had time to rehab and he'll be fine by the time the, the season rolls around. But, you know, there's just so many unknowns when it comes to the running back position. What do you got in A.J. Brown as, as a wide receiver? I mean, he hasn't played – all the games he's had injuries in his career. He's really good when he's healthy, but you know that's certainly um, something you have to think about. So um, the window talk is valid because I think it's all dependent on what that offense can do and specifically what Derrick Henry can do moving forward. And you mentioned not only Derrick Henry but AJ Brown last year. It looked like the big addition would be Julio Jones. Uh, 
age, ineffectiveness, whatever you want to call it. Julio Jones uh, with the injuries was never really a factor for the Titans. And now it's Robert Woods coming in as the number two guy. But of course, he's coming off major injury. To me, Robert Woods was a huge part of that Rams offense and could be a major, major upgrade for Ryan Tannehill. Depending on the health, are, are the Titans feeling like that they will have him at as close to full strength as is possible for 17 games? Yeah, uh, they think so. And I actually had the opportunity to talk to Robert Woods a couple weeks ago. Uh, and he feels really good about where rehab is going. And obviously, a player, you know, they're not going to tell you that it's bad, but you know, he, he feels like he's on schedule to be ready to go by the time the season rolls around. But you know, it's, you, you always have to worry when you're coming off an injury like that. And Julio Jones last year, you knew the hamstring coming into it. Now hamstrings tend to worry me more than a torn ACL nowadays, because it feels like a, a guy blows his knee out, they repair it and he comes back better than ever. And, and so I, I think that's the hope with Robert Woods, but the fact that John Robinson has kind of had a history the last few years of either drafting or signing hurt players or players coming off a major injury, Bud Dupree was a prime example of that who tore his ACL with Pittsburgh. He signed the last offseason and just was never quite the, the Bud Dupree that, that everybody was hoping he would be until later on in the season. So um, it's certainly a valid concern, but I love the one-two tandem of A.J. Brown and Robert Woods when they're both healthy. Chase McCabe joining us, talking past the draft with the Tennessee Titans. Now, Titans are picking toward the bottom of the first round. Uh, They don't have a second-round pick, two coming uh, in the next, though. What is the buzz in Tennessee about what they're planning on doing with that pick? Well, it's kind of up for debate, which, um, you know, is, is fun for what we do, <laughs> for sure. But absolutely, uh, it could be a lot of mock drafts have them taking an offensive lineman, which is obviously something they're going to need. They cut Roger Saffold uh, because of cap casualty uh, in the offseason. So they're going to be looking for a left guard. Now, they, they drafted Dylan Radence last year in the second round. He has barely sniffed the field and you know, hasn't been uh, a second-round pick at all to this point, the right now it would it would feel like he's going to be uh, penciled into that left guard spot. But a lot of questions, you know, if he's ready for that. Uh, they don't have a right tackle. They could uh, potentially bring back David Quisenberry, who played right tackle last year, uh, or Dennis Kelly's name has been out there as somebody that uh, was with the Titans before. And now his brother is the passing game coordinator for the team. But uh, so offensive line could be on the table. Wide receiver could be on the table. A lot of wide receivers in this draft and especially in the first round. And uh, I work with Derek Mason, longtime wide receiver in the NFL, who, who really likes this class, uh, whether it's in the first round or, or beyond that, and feels that the Titans definitely need to address that position, even though we just talked about Robert Woods and, and A.J. Brown. Uh, they got to have more help for Ryan Tannehill when it comes to, uh, to catching the football. So I, I think there are several different directions that they could go, but I definitely feel like it's going to be on the offensive side of the ball, so likely offensive line or wide receiver. So that's a very good overview overall. Now let me ask you as an as observer of the team, what should they do? Ooh, I, I honestly think they should go receiver. Um, I don't... You know, the thing is, they've they've tried to address offensive line in the draft the last few years, and Nate Davis, who was a third-round pick, I think it's been four years ago now, uh, or three years ago, it was here in Nashville, 
um, has really been the only time that John Robinson has, has hit on the offensive line. The Isaiah Wilson debacle from 2020, the guy played two snaps and they were kneel downs, and now it would appear he's out of the league as a first-round pick, one of the biggest uh, misses of all time in the draft. And then the aforementioned Dylan Radence just hasn't panned out yet. I really like the skill of the receivers uh, in this draft. And and so I, I, that's probably what I would do. Chris Olave could fall to that position at 26. Uh, his name has been mentioned uh, as a potential there. Um, the, the, the kid out of Purdue, uh, I'm sorry, the kid out of Penn State as well um, could, could be potential. So I, I'd go receiver. I, I just think Ryan Tannehill needs more offensive weapons. Yeah, and really in today's NFL, you cannot have enough depth at that position, especially with what we saw happen to the Titans last year when Julio Jones was hurt. Uh, One advantage that the Titans, in my opinion, have over a lot of teams is Mike Vrabel as the head coach. It feels to me like there are only a handful of difference maker coaches in the league. I know he's caught some flack from, from time to time from certain corners, but to me, it feels like Vrabel is as on the pulse of his team as any head coach seems to give them chances consistently with the decision making that he exhibits. Uh, is my feeling shared in Nashville? Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason he won Coach of the Year. Um, you know, I, I've I think what's been kind of cool is to be able to watch him grow as a head coach and. You know, I, I heard um, I heard somebody mention this. It was our afternoon show host, Jared Tillman, that actually mentioned this. When he was hired, he wasn't hired as the defensive coordinator from the Houston Texans. He was hired as the linebacker from the Patriots. And, and just the Patriot way that he grew up in, playing for Bill Belichick. John Robinson obviously was cut from that tree as well, having spent so many years with the New England Patriots. And that's exactly what they got here. I mean, he... He's kind of created a, and I, I hate this phrase, the Titan way, but he's he's put his own stamp on things. But he has come in and been a player's coach. And, and guys, you talk to anybody that has either plays for this team or has played for this team, and a majority of them will tell you how much they love playing for Mike Grable because he speaks their language. He, he's gone through training camp and those battles that they go through on a weekly basis, and so he understands it. You know, there were times early in his coaching career where I thought maybe too much of the player would come out, but I think he's learned to balance that. And he's surrounded himself with a, a really good able to lean on uh, those those members of his staff to you know kind of help him think more like a coach and and less like a player. But but I think he's done a good job of, of balancing that. So I, I have a lot of faith in Mike Grable as the head coach, and he deserved Coach of the Year. I was glad to see him get that honor and. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that that might be one of many. Yeah, uh, no doubt for me either. Uh, he seems to he seems to be one of the guys who gets it uh, in the NFL, and he has a division that is once again out there for the taking. I mean, look, the, the Texans are going to be a dumpster fire again. Uh, the Jaguars have nowhere to go but up, but when you're starting for as far down as they were, you don't really worry about them as a threat. So I'll bring it around to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, what do you think of the Matt Ryan acquisition and what that does for their prospects this year? It's amazing to me that they, you know, number one, they go from having Peyton Manning for so many years and they draft Andrew Luck. Luck, uh, you know, retires, uh, shocks everybody. And they've basically just had a one-and-done at quarterback every year, but they've stayed relevant. And it's because the one-and-done at quarterback, you know, maybe outside of Jacoby Brissett, 
they go and they, you know they get a future Hall of Famer and Philip Rivers and and then Carson Wentz kind of takes them down and we see this whole thing with Jim Irsay and apparently he wanted him gone. They missed the playoffs and now they go and they get another future Hall of Famer and Matt Ryan. Um, I, you know, I, from a Titans point of view, it, it doesn't really scare me all that much because I think Matt Ryan's best days of football are behind him. But you still have to respect him. And I really like Frank Reich as a, as a head coach. And I think that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich know that maybe their clock is ticking. They have to make something happen here. And so they've gone and they've gotten a veteran that got his team to the Super Bowl. He's won an MVP. And we know the team has weapons. I really like the defense. They obviously have a lot of young offensive weapons as well. So I think they are by far the biggest threat to the Titans when it comes to the division. But I still give the Titans the edge just because of what I mentioned. You know, Matt Ryan, I, I think, is a little long in the tooth at the quarterback position. So I think that's going to catch up with him in 17 games. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you have to start with the Titans, but the Colts are, I think, closer this year than they were last. Chase McCabe, 1025 in Nashville. We appreciate the time, man. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Anytime. All right. Two tickets right now. Right now. Jimmy Buffett and the Coral Reefer Band for the October 15th show at the MGM Grand Arena on October 8th. And now a second show added for October 15th. Tickets go on sale for the second show at 11 a.m. Friday, April 15th. That's this Friday at AXS.com. Ari is going to take caller number seven right now, 364-1100-364-1100. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.